Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm an integrative and functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and well over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs. And I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school in practitioner mentorship where we help other clinicians level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what this show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I would love for you to subscribe to the show, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Now give me the mic so I can take it away. Hi, friends. Today, you're going to hear myself and Rachel from Team FN discussing candida and the skin connection and our treatment strategies and what we see here at The Functional Nutritionist. The vast majority of clients that come to us are still folks who have worked with other functional providers. They've been given functional tests. They've been put on a protocol. They walk away feeling confused and not getting better. And if you listen to this conversation with Rachel and I, and you are a practitioner who is looking to take more of a well-rounded and in-depth approach to your practice so that you can get your clients or your patients really good, long-standing results, then I strongly encourage you to think about joining the Functional Nutrition Academy. Our enrollment for fall cohort officially opens September 1st, so you can apply, you can have a discovery call, you can talk to somebody here at Team FN to make sure this is the exact right fit for you, and we can get you started and secure your spot in the fall cohort. I am really proud and really believe in the work that we're doing here, and the practitioners that are graduating from FNA are really, really, really top-notch. We're doing good work here. We are creating a ripple effect and it's pretty awesome. So I would absolutely love to have you a part of it. Uh, You are mentored by both Rachel and myself. We have visiting faculty, some really phenomenal practitioners that you get to learn from on top of having a really, really supportive community. So this is your invitation. Get your application in and let's go. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Um, Today is going to be all about the candida and skin link. Um, But before we get into that, I have been, we just got off a team meeting and I've just been really feeling a lot of gratitude and gratefulness for the the team and everything we're doing here. And because I've been in that like gratitude state, I'm receiving a real strong uptick and listeners kind of sharing their gratitude with me. So I figured I'm going to start start each episode off with a little bit of listener love. So this is from Ruth following us from Ireland. She says, I've only been listening to your podcast and following your work for a couple of months, but the amount of healing I have found in those few months after following your advice, suggestions, and info has been unbelievable, and I am beyond grateful. So shout out to Ruth in Ireland. Thanks for listening, and I'm so glad that this has been a support for you. All right. We're going to talk about, like I said, candida, um, which is a type of fungus, and when it gets overgrown, we can see issues play out through skin manifestations. We've talked before on the show about how skin health is 
oftentimes an inside job and requires more than just a topical approach for treatment. There's a link between fungus overgrown or candida overgrowth and skin issues. And our goal today is to bring your awareness to this connection and to give you some things to think about and to troubleshoot. Rachel really sees all of our skin clients or our skin patients at TFN. So she's joining me today for this conversation. Um, So hi, Rachel. Hey, Erin. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And good news for all of you listening, we have actually brought on another practitioner. So we've been able to bring down our wait list here at TFN. We uh, currently have a two-month wait list, so that's real improvement. Um, If you're interested in joining, you can go to thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash membership to apply. And good candidates for our one-to-one functional medicine work are folks who have really already attempted a lot of the basics, so especially around food and diet. Um, And if you're still in a position where you're kind of refining your food and your diet and figuring out, you know, how to eat to feel good, we recommend the Carb Compatibility Project. It starts in September. Um, You can check out more information on our website. But Rachel, um, what are your thoughts around that in terms of like, who's a really good candidate to work with you one-on-one? Yeah, I think that's a great question. A lot of the people who come to us in the one-to-one membership have focused a lot already on the foundations. They've gotten their blood sugar in check. They are eating a low inflammatory diet. I can tell you that the patients who enroll in the one-to-one membership who have already gone through a program like CCP, we just see so much more success because we're able to dive in deep right away. We're not addressing some of those more foundational things and anyone can benefit from kind of tuning in and tightening up their foundations. And CCP just provides such a great support for that as well. Yeah. It's kind of like a fast track to success. And the mm-hmm. cost of the CCP is less than half the cost of working in our one-on-one membership. So mm-hmm. you kind of get a little boost too. Um, all right. So let's talk about the skin because um, it's it's a rough one. I, why don't you cue it up since you're really the practitioner who sees the most skin clients in, in our practice? Yes. And Skin conditions can be super, super frustrating and also extremely isolating. A lot of people who have skin issues feel a little bit or a lot a bit of embarrassment. It's not always something that they feel comfortable talking about. Sometimes it's on their arms, their legs, in public places that people can view. And um, from a functional medicine perspective, it's worth mentioning that there can be so many different root causes for skin issues. I want to highlight that today we'll be talking about that candida fungal skin connection. Um, but we really want to make sure that we're addressing our patients with skin issues holistically as well. And whenever we treat candida, the same rules apply. We want to address the patient as a whole. Yeah, um, for sure. So let's narrow in because this could be a 17-hour discussion if we were like, (laughs) let's talk about skin root causes. Mm -hmm. Specific to candida, what are some skin conditions that you see associated with candida? So I see a lot of eczema and psoriasis. I do see some acne related to candida as well, seborrheic dermatitis. A lot of times, seborrheic dermatitis, it can start on the face. And then I also sometimes see more severe cases where it's spreading to like the chest and the neck. Some people 
also know seborrheic dermatitis. It almost has the same root as dandruff. It's just almost like dandruff that has started to spread to other parts of the body. Uh, rosacea. And then we can also see tinea versicolor. I actually just saw a TikTok on this the other day where a girl, I think she's living in Hawaii or somewhere tropical. She's in her bikini and she's like, the last few months I've just been embracing my cheetah spots. I got home and my mom, who's a doctor, is like, oh, that's yeast. We need to get that taken care of. We need to treat that. So her cheetah spots were cheetah spots were slowly spreading across her abdomen and her arms, just these little circle like patches. Um that's also definitely a sign of yeast as well. And when that pre- pre- uh, presents, is it, are they, what color are they? Are they white? Are they darker? Like how would somebody know that, oh gosh, maybe this is something I'm dealing with? It's a little bit across the board. So the tinea versicolor is more of like a pale whitish color. The seborrheic dermatitis is more of like patchy white flakes, almost like dandruff on, on your skin. A little bit, I've seen it both where it's white, but oftentimes red and a little bit, same thing with the psoriasis, the eczema, the rosacea. We think more of like a redness associated with that. So it kind of is across the board. What are some other skin-related signs that somebody might be dealing with candida? Because I know when I'm you know, in an intake appointment, when I'm collecting data, mm-hmm. when I'm asking questions, there's some real specific signs that I'm looking for to see if I am suspecting a yeast overgrowth. Yes. So really any other type of like yeasty kind of fungal vibes elsewhere in the body. So we're thinking about recurrent yeast infections for women. Um, Athlete's foot or toenail fungus can be another sign of this. Kind of a less specific sign is also that histamine intolerance when we're just seeing generalized rashes popping up, but also like itchiness, irritation for some people, even just that like runny nose, scratchy throat, watery eyes. It's a super vague symptom, but sometimes that can point us to yeast as well. Uh, Vaginal itching. And then I see a lot of itchy ears in my yeasty patients as well. Yeah. And I'll tip, I will say, and some people are just like, I'm just a yeasty gal. I've like, I've had a, (laughs) I had a client say specifically that like, I'm just a yeasty gal. Like she's like very self-aware. I'm full of yeast. Um, but I will also see sinus stuff in in addition to this, because just sinus on its own, I'm not immediately like, oh, yeast, it's a yeast issue. But if it's pairing with some of these stuff, and um, if I'm suspecting yeast, I'll also just ask like pointed questions about like, do you ever get like weird rashes like on your chest mm-hmm. or in your armpits or like in the bra line, things yeah. where like places where moisture kind of gathers, you know, tends to be, <laughs> tends to be yeeastier places. And right, swampy spots, yeah, the swampy bits. Um, and of course, just having these symptoms like standalone doesn't mean you have like this full blown systemic Mm -hmm. candida, you know, overgrowth. One thing I'll actually do is if they're if somebody has um like a skin manifestation and I'm like sort of suspecting candida, but maybe not gonna go the full full tilt to test for it. We'll talk about testing later. Or if I'm trying to decide, is it worth running, you know, like a $300 test to figure out if if you have yeast, um, is I'll have them use like a topical antifungal just for a couple of days to see if that removes, if if that improves the situation. 
information, then it's like, okay, now we know we're dealing with yeast. So let's take some next steps. We're not using, just to be clear, we're not using the topical antifungal as like the full send treatment, but -hmm. just to kind of assess if like we could be dealing with yeast. Definitely. I use that too. That's helpful. And then when we're seeing those, you know, signs of outward yeast overgrowth, it's the way that we approach things from a root cause approach is like, hey, there's probably some signs that there's an overgrowth of yeast in your gut. And so we want to look there. So let's talk about how we assess for that. Are there tests that we can run to look for candida overgrowth? For sure. And so I would say the most common one that, or the the test that I'm using if I'm suspecting yeast is an organic acids test. And this is I think the best way to detect yeast, I don't want to call it the gold standard. It's just what I've had the most success with in practice. We're specifically looking for those markers of arabinose. Sometimes it's presented as D-arabinitol, but this is a metabolite that will get excreted in high levels in the urine when there is yeast presence in the body and in the digestive tract. Um, Another test I use a lot in practice is a stool test, but it is worth mentioning, and I know you feel similarly, that stool testing, it's its really hard to get yeast to show up on stool testing in the first place because yeast is kind of tricky. It's, it, it hides in biofilms. And so just because you have a negative candida profile on a stool test, it does not mean that you're in the clear. And so that's why I think it's so important to also do just a really thorough intake appointment as well to ask those kind of deciphering quen- questions that you would mention too. Yeah. And you're so good about like not bombarding people with labs right out of the gate. You really like to Mm -hmm. kind of like drip labs out. Um, I just saw something that was talking about, I'm like, I should do a whole podcast episode on this, but how more data can, can actually be like overwhelming for people. Like it can, it can, it can kind of like inhibit, um, Mm -hmm assessing for root cause because we have so much data. We're like, what do we even treat? What do we even, where do we even go here? Um, So I'll sometimes start off with a stool test. And if it doesn't show signs of a fungal overgrowth, but I still really suspect it, that's when I can kind of bring in an organic acid test. But if, you know, like what we were talking about earlier, if somebody's showing skin signs and manifestations of of uh, fungal overgrowth and an antifungal works, usually I'm just like, let's just do the organic acid test as well, mm-hmm. just to make sure that we are, you know, catching it. Um, I have, I feel like you and I kind of have a little bit of like a love-hate relationship with mm-hmm. organic acids where it's like, it's so good when it's good. And then sometimes it's just like kind of like a waste of money. I hate to say it, but so I feel that way sometimes about it. Yeah. And I think organic acids, tests are not my first approach. And a lot of times, and we'll dive into this more throughout our our chat today, but I think of candida as a secondary condition, right? Like why is the candida overgrowing in the first place? So regardless, you want to address the gut microbiome. You want to address what's going on in that environment and in the terrain that allowed it to overgrow. So across the board, running a stool test is going to be an integral part of treating skin issues, regardless of if it's candida or not, but especially if it is candida. A hundred percent. Have you been tinkering around more with um, using biofilm disruptors before you run the stool test? 
I'm only doing that if it's a repeat stool test and patients are not seeing the improvements that they would have hoped for or that they would have expected. Like what might still be hanging around that we did not address if I feel like we're doing all the right things and the needle's not moving as expected. But I'm, I don't like to do that across the board, especially when it's somebody's first stool test, because we might get more things show up that maybe weren't an issue beforehand as well. Totally. I'd be curious if you see more fungus show up on a stool mm-hmm. test using those biofilm disruptors. Definitely. I, I would suspect that w- would be the case and maybe even on organic acids testing too. Um, something else that's worth mentioning as well is there's a condition called SIFO, which is a little bit different than SIBO. So SIBO is small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And that's when bacteria has translocated or it's moved <laughs> to a location where it does not belong in the small intestine. And SIFO is small intestinal fungal overgrowth. There is not a formal test for SIFO. So we're really looking for clinical clues, clinical judgment here. We're putting on our thinking caps. If you're if you're presenting as somebody who has SIBO, like bloating, no matter what you're eating, feeling like you're nine plus months pregnant, having also those yeasty like symptoms, SIBO testing is negative, but maybe yeast is detected on either a stool test or an oat, we can treat it similarly. And so not implying that everyone needs a SIBO, an oat and a GI map, but that can be a slightly trickier situation because there's not a gold standard test to rule that out as well. Get ready to conquer your to-do list with Ned's Brain Blend. You know I love me some brain help. This powerful USDA certified organic tincture blends equal parts CBD and CBG with brain-boosting botanicals and medicinal mushrooms, providing functional support for improved clarity, focus, and mental performance now and further down the road. Ingredients include MCT oil, full-spectrum hemp, ginkgo, goju cola, bacopa, Siberian ginseng, lion's mane, and lemon. Become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned's products with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Are you trying to get healthier? Maybe you want to eat better or move your body more, but you struggle with willpower, productivity, or focus. If so, I've got you. My brand new sponsor, Neurohacker, combines 28 of their most research-backed nootropic ingredients in their ultimate brain fuel formula called Qualia Mind. It's been changing people's lives for years now. It's been changing mine for a few months, which is why I called them up and say, hey, do you want to sponsor the show? I love what your product is doing for my brain. Qualia Mind has really helped my focus, my mood, my willpower, my drive. I love it. All the ingredients really work in synergy with one another to support optimal brain function pathways, and you will feel it. If you don't, you can get your money back. Try it for 100 days, and if it doesn't work, if you're not totally stoked, get your money back. See what it can do for your mind. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash funk to save $100 off and 15% off of your first purchase when you use code funk. That's neurohacker.com forward slash F-U-N-K to try Qualia Mind with the code funk. Totally. And so we're talking about candida, which is a, a type of, of yeast or type of fungus. 
Um, and it's important to note that Candida is not necessarily a bad guy, right? We it's a commensal, meaning it normally lives in the gut. It's it's part of the microbiome. It's part of the flora that exists in our gut. It becomes a problem when it has the opportunity to overgrow. So it's a commensal, um, but it can also be considered an opportunist, meaning when it gets mm -hmm. the opportunity, it will take it and it will run with it. So can you kind of speak more to that a little bit? Definitely. And so like you shared, candida lives in the, the gut, the skin, and even that vaginal microbiome, um, it's a problem when it overgrows. And so we always want to think about kind of circling back to that concept of what's going on in the first place that allowed candida to overgrow. What is the other imbalance in the gut that is presenting? Is there a deficiency of beneficial bacteria? Is there bacterial overgrowth of, of the bad guys that we don't want present maybe contributing to that? Is there maybe low stomach acid or low acidity in the colon that's allowing this candida to thrive. Um, we also, I see this a lot in practice too, where their digestive immune system function is really depleted. So we see low secretory IgA on testing. And if the digestive immune system resources are depleted, the body's going to have all, another hard time clearing that candida. So we want to think about why. When you see candida, it's not what herbs do I take, it's why is it overgrowing or what not what prescriptions do I take, but what's going on. Yeah, I really want to highlight and underscore this fact that candida is not a pathogen, but like anything in the gut, it has potential to cause problems if there's too much of it. And if there is too much of it, what we don't want to do is go in and blindly try to kill it all dead or starve it all off with some crazy restrictive candida diet. What we need to do is look at the environment and ask what imbalance in the environment allowed candida to grow. I saw a video on Instagram from Nedra Glover Tawab, and she said, taking a vacation is wonderful, but it will not save you from burnout. Vacation is a wonderful tool for taking a break, but when you return from vacation, you are back in it. Mm -hmm. She said, go on vacation, but clean up your life. And I think it's the same same for candida in your gut. You can do a candida diet. You can take the antifungals, but once you're done with that, you're returning to the same environment that created the dysbiosis in the first place. Like you got to clean up your life. You got to clean mm -hmm. up environment, alter the environment that allowed the candida to grow. And I think Rachel and I will just continue to scream that from the rooftops for as long as we possibly can. So, you know, what is, let's talk about that environment. What is that environment? What's the environment that allows candida to uh, overgrow and thrive and kind of take over? Um, I would say, first and foremost, I'm always asking somebody about their history with antibiotics, right? I have a lot of people who will take antibiotics and for a sickness, an infection, for acne, whatever it may be. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I got so much worse, of course, digestively, but also sometimes skin stuff, brain fog, fatigue, because um, just wiped out their microbiome. We decreased those butyrate producer producers, those short chain fatty acid producers. So Antibiotics, definitely a trigger for an environment that fosters candida. 
the typical standard American diet, high in sugar. We know that glucose sugar is the growth medium for yeast. So a high sugar diet, definitely going to contribute to that yeast overgrowth. Um, a lot of women on hormone replacement therapy or on the birth control pill, that, that estrogen especially can be a trigger for candida. And then kind of piggybacking off what we, I just mentioned a little bit earlier that like chronic stress, low secretory IgA, like you said, we need to address the terrain, address the home, address the environment. Um, a big thing that I see a lot in practice actually is a connection between individuals who are on PPIs, acid blockers, and candida as well. And those PPIs, the proton pump inhibitors, decrease that stomach acid output, and then the colon is just not as acidic. We're not digesting our foods as well. Yeast is doing more fermentation as well in the gut when we see that too. Yeah. Yeast doesn't really, candida doesn't really do super great with an acidic environment. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like typically speaking, like the more acid, the better. And not just stomach acid, but acid in our colon from those mm -hmm. short chain fatty acids, like you're saying. Um, and we just know that low stomach acid in general, we can see so many other skin manifestations like pair with that. Yeah. And if you like that list that you just read out or you just set out, it's like, if you think about it, it's kind of a snapshot of the average person in modern day world, right? Lots mm -hmm. of antibiotic use, the standard American diet, birth control, high stress. And it's not a huge shocker that we're seeing more fungal overgrowth, more candida overgrowth as a byproduct of just like the way that we're living our lives. Mm -hmm. And that low secretory IgA. It's, it's, it's such a big one. And we just do see it paired so much with high stress. Like we know that high stress is going to suppress the immune system. It just is like, there's no two ways around it. I speaking from experience, I had just had like a couple of really, really stressful months and then you know, I just got leveled out. I got the flu, you know, it's just like our ability to fend off mm -hmm. virus pathogens and everything just gets so much lower when we're running and gunning. So, you know, kind of keep that in mind. So these are the things that can lead to candida. We talked about some symptoms that you might be dealing with candida. What is, you know, I want to be careful with how I say this because we're, you know, this is not medical advice. This is just education. You can bring this education, this information to your own practitioner. Um, so when I say what's the treatment, what are things for people to consider if they are dealing with a candida overgrowth? We don't like to give specific protocols on this show. And honestly, guys, it's not because we're trying to gatekeep information, but it's just not responsible. Like anything we do, candida treatment really does require an individual approach. So with all of those long-winded disclaimers out of the way. What is your approach? Um, I definitely, like I mentioned, I want to get a stool test to see what's going on in the environment of the gut. I definitely want to support beneficial bacteria. Uh, I see so much deficiency dysbiosis or, or just so much deficiency on stool testing when we are testing. And so thinking about diversifying the diet, bringing in prebiotics, bringing in those polyphenols. I work with so many people who feel like they're eating a very low inflammatory diet and they're doing a great job, but they're eating the same foods every week. And they're like, oh yeah, I, I eat a lot of plant foods, but it's blueberries every week. I'm like, can we, can we bring in some blackberries? Can we bring in um, some plums, some peaches, some more seasonal produce to like add some variety to their, their guts? Um, 
I definitely treat any problematic bacteria, any opportunists that are maybe showing up on stool test, H. pylori, if it feels clinically significant, I love to rule that out. And I do want to clarify, we're not just using antifungals. We're not just using herbal botanicals. We're not just using prescription antifungals. We're, we're treating that terrain. And so in some trickier cases, not implying that this is everyone who does have yeast, but if yeast just will not clear, and we've addressed the secretory IGA, we've addressed the beneficials, we've done all of the typical foundations. Sometimes we want to look at the home environment. Like, is there mold? Is there yeast or fungus overgrowing in the home environment? I've seen that with certain types of mold in the home associated with that yeast overgrowth in the body because it suppresses the immune system. And then you can't clear that yeast that's overgrowing in the first place. Um, without getting too long winded, <laughs> um, I'd say that those are my like foundations. Those are the steps that I definitely take as well. Yeah. And, um, I think a couple of things that I'll say, um, I really for like a long time now have seen H pylori and candida kind of present together. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they kind of like pack a one, two punch. So that's just something to, to consider as well as, because we do have a lot of practitioners that listen to the show. This is a little bit of a clinical pearl. I would say it's not uncommon for those two to pair together. Another thing that I like to throw into the mix, um, is we'll talk about ways that we specifically address like trying to bring down candida levels, but throwing in short chain fatty acids, like mm -hmm. in a supplement form, I've seen that can be helpful throughout candida treatment and beyond. And then another thing um, is that candida die-off can be kind of gnarly. Um, it can make people feel real shitty. So you just want to make sure that you're taking good care to support drainage and detoxification pathways. You're supporting the liver. Um, these little critters like don't really want to get killed off. Um, you're making sure like Rachel, did you talk about pooping? Like making sure that you're, you're pooping regularly. Um, and then potentially, you know, throwing in some binders as well can mm -hmm. be something to really consider. Um, what works for some of my patients too. Definitely the daily bowel movement. I'm a sucker for castor oil packs. Um, I've seen that really, really help with die off. We're just like increasing that blood flow and lymphatic flow to the liver. And then especially some of my skin patients, if we are treating candida, it's a sticky, it's literally a sticky situation with yeast and saunas. But for some people, if they are going through that like die off detox process, getting in the sauna can make them feel a lot better. Of course, these are the people who don't have the yeast overgrowing in those swampy areas, but generally it can help quite a bit. And so what are there certain go-to herbs or supplements that you, that you like to lean on if you're going to try to bring down candida levels? For sure. I do use a lot of Sacro-B, Saccharomyces boulardii. That's that probiotic yeast that eats yeast. It gently crowds it out of the of the GI tract. And then in terms of herbals or botanicals that can actually help to remove yeast, caprylic acid and oil of oregano can be great products. And then every once in a while, I'll use Candex. I think you're familiar with that one too. It kind of yeah. like gently breaks apart the walls of the, the cell walls of the yeast. So it's, it's more gentle. It won't create that die off like some of the other herbs will depending on the severity. 
Yeah, I think for some of our sensitive Sallies, you know, people who just like tend to be hyper reactive or who know that they tend to have like a die off reaction um, when they're on some type of kill protocol, that Candex can be um, really, really helpful to for a more gentle approach. I've also leaned heavily on prescription antifungals. Mm-hmm. So of course, that's going to require a physician who's able to um, call that prescription in. So that mm-hmm. advice is going to be predicated on the fact that you have a good relationship with a, uh, with a doctor that can do that. Um, fortunately, um, fortunately, we you know, we've got some collaborations that um, that work really well for our practice. So we're able to get our hands on Nystat and or send our do- our clients and our patients to their own doctors to get that prescription. One of the, th- so Nystatin is the one that I will recommend. Um, I want everyone to just kind of understand that there is, there are certain antifungals like Diflucan that tend to be harder on the liver. Nystatin, is not one of those. Um, I just have not seen the literature to support this. So I've had a lot of really good luck um, collabor- collaborating um, with practitioners, with um, physicians who are willing to call in a Nystatin prescription. There's been a small handful of times where doctors have said, I won't do that because it's really hard on the liver. And then obviously when a client hears that, they get freaked out. And so I just want to say that that is not been my experience. And also the literature doesn't back that up. That is for other antifungals. If it's something you're going to be on longer term, it might not be a bad idea to just monitor your liver enzymes if it's something that you're concerned with. This one is for my low-carby Barbies. If you're struggling with headaches, muscle cramps, or fatigue on a low-carb diet, you are probably low in electrolytes. This is for two reasons. One is that whole foods, keto, or low-carb diets are low in sodium. When you cut out packaged foods, you basically cut out your main dietary sources of sodium. Also, you excrete more sodium in a carb-restricted state. But the good news is that replenishing electrolytes can really rectify symptoms pretty darn quickly. Element is my personal electrolyte of choice. It's super yummy, has everything you need and nothing you don't. The reality is every single person needs electrolytes, but if you're active or you're on a low-carb diet, you really extra need electrolytes to feel and perform your best. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets for free with an Element order. It's a great way to try all the flavors, or you could share them with a friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com forward slash funk. That is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash F-U-N-K. Element offers a no questions asked refund so you can try it risk-free. I've got a fun Organifi offer for you, so get ready because I know how much you love these. When you get the Sunrise to Sunset Kit, you can also enjoy a free 30-day sample of Pure for a limited time. The Sunrise to Sunset Kit helps transform your entire day in three easy steps. A detoxifying morning reset with the green juice, an afternoon energy boost, caffeine-free with the red juice, that's my fave, and a nighttime relaxation tea with the gold, which is like a yummy anti-inflammatory golden milk type situation all packed with superfoods that your body will love. You get an awesome bundle savings on this kit, and for a limited time, you get a 30-day supply of the Brain Boosting Blend Pure for free. Pure helps to repair, protect, and feed your brain cells. Keep that sweet, sweet brain of yours nice and healthy. If you want to save an additional 20% and get free shipping, head to Organifi.com forward slash 
funk, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash F-U-N-K. Any thoughts around that, Rachel? Yeah, I agree with that completely. The uh, the fluconazole is really, really intense. And I've worked with some patients who have come to me on Nystatin for a year, two years plus, and their liver function tests are all clear. They're being monitored by their physician, their PCP, and have had no issues with that longer term Nystatin. So again, disclaimer, disclaimer, not medical advice. Mm-hmm. This is our experience. Yeah. Um, speaking of experience, why don't you you know, why don't we give some examples of um, patient cases or client cases that we've seen? Yeah. So I have been working with a patient who has struggled with long-term skin issues, long-term both rosacea and eczema in different parts of their body. And they came to me taking basically going on and off of antifungal treatment plans. So lots of antifungal herbs. I think it was like one month on, two weeks off for the better part of a year. They were on, at one point in time, they were on a candida diet that just really created a lot more stress, a lot more overwhelm for them. It felt too restricting. They didn't notice an improvement in how they felt. And when we ran a stool test on them, they had never had a stool test run before. Their microbiome just showed a ton of that deficiency, dysbiosis. So their beneficial bacteria were totally wiped out because they were on a restrictive diet for a period of time. They were on these long-term antifungals. And then of course their secretory IgA was low because we had just kind of bombed the gut every month for such a long period of time. And so slowly but surely their levels of beneficial bacteria are coming up. We're doing a lot of work on their sec IgA and managing stress, kind of treating them very holistically and skin is trending in the right direction. It's not always that simple, but. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, like that's a pretty common trend and I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of a a client, very similar situation, an older client of mine who, I mean, older, not like older in age, but it was Mm -hmm. a while ago where she came and she had been on oregano oil and other antifungal herbs for two years straight. So she had worked with a provider, had never really gotten officially tested for it. It was suspected that there was yeast overgrowth. Mm-hmm. So she went on antifungals and just never really came off of them. Her um, main symptoms were vulva pain. Um, so that's really like what why she sought out um, my services but she also saw skin manifestation. So she would get really flushed. She would get a lot of rashes, redness, Mm -hmm. flushing. Um, We did a stool test on her and her candida was like her candida was high. So she had been on these antifungal Mm -hmm. herbs for two years and that was not enough to clear the candida. And just like you said, Rachel, her secretory IgA was like in the gutter. It was super, super low. So it was really more of a, okay, like how do we take a step back, stop going after the candida, kill the yeast, kill the yeast, kill the yeast, kill the yeast, because that approach isn't actually working to lower the yeast. So how do we take a step back, look at the whole person, look at everything going on, with their stress levels, with their overall microbiome, and how do we kind of 
how do we how do we assist that? And so taking a more like full spectrum approach, I guess, is is the way that we were able to reduce her symptoms and reduce the candida. But it wasn't just continuing to do more of the same. And I think you know we we don't just see that with antifungal herbs, but we see that with a candida diet. I'm like, mm-hmm. I just I don't want to ever hear the term candida diet again because like it 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 is so unnecessarily restrictive. Mm-hmm. And between Rachel, you and I, like we have, you know, helped people clear candida probably like dozens and dozens and dozens dozens of times and neither of us are suggesting any type of like overly restrictive diet. It's not necessary. Mm -hmm. It really isn't. Definitely. And I think for some people, I've seen certain cases where they've come to me and they're like, when I went on the candida diet, it provided some short-term relief. For a lot of people, it's not it's not sustainable. It's not realistic. I mean, we're removing that dietary yeast. We're removing that like glucose fuel source, but it's more of a band-aid approach. It's, it's symptom management. It's not root cause medicine more than anything. Yeah. And I do think, you know, the way that I, I do think that when you are attempting to reduce candida in the gut, it makes sense to be mindful of your sugar intake. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's fair um, because those glucose secretions do change the form of yeast and it makes it, it's called a hyphae form. So it's kind of has like almost like, like finger projections and they can kind of embed into the gut. So there really is a sugar candida link. Like that's not just a pretend, you know, manufactured thing. However, we don't have to get super restrictive. Like some people are like, I can't, I can't have fruit. I can't. And I'm like, you can have fruit. Like you can Mm. have fruit and still clear candida. So I think that, um, you know, honestly, a lot of the times I'm recommending a eating plan like the carb compatibility project, because it over, it reduces overall sugar intake without being super hardcore. It provides fibers and plant variety to support beneficial bacteria, that variety that you were talking about, so that we can, those healthy bacteria can grow, they can thrive, they can release short chain fatty acids, they can acidify the colon. Yeast and candida don't like that, so that's really good. The overall diet plan supports estrogen clearance. So we know that there's that estrogen candida link. Mm -hmm. There is a mindfulness component to reduce overall stress. So it's not just as simple as being like, don't ever have any sugar ever and the candida goes away. It's again, more of a a full spectrum approach, even with diet. Oh, absolutely. And I think as a society in general, people are eating more and more sugar or sugar is just added to so many more foods. I think this is part of the reason why we're seeing more of that candida in practice too. And so to echo what you shared, balancing blood sugar is key. That CCP way of eating is going to be a really key part of also treating candida. Yes. Agreed. Um, Okay. So you had talked about, so we, we kind of discussed how to address the candida, but then you had talked about there's other factors at play with mm-hmm. a candida, candida overgrowth, like low stomach acid. And I know wow. that we've talked about that so much on the show before, but I think it bears repeating with this whole conversation. So can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, when I think about stomach acid, it's the first step in, well, chewing your food, of course, and being mindful of when you eat is also a It plays a role in digestion, but physically stomach acid is one of the first parts of breaking down food in our body. And so when stomach acid is chronically low, we can end up with these nutrient deficiencies and unwanted 
organisms, bacteria, and yeast hanging out in our digestive tracts. And so we always want to rule out low stomach acid as part of a candida treatment plan or a candida root cause. And there, it's it, this is also multifactorial, right? So age plays a role in stomach acid. As we age, we're going to start producing less acid in general. Chronic stress, if somebody is constantly in fight or flight, they're really not going to be in that rest and digest state. They're going to produce less stomach acid as a whole. Uh, I see this a lot in practice too. We need minerals to make our stomach acid, sodium, potassium, zinc. We burn through these more when we're in that fight or flight state, when we're in that go, go, go kind of mindset. Um, in some more, I don't want to call it rare, less frequent cases, we can start to see some autoimmunity against those parietal cells. Those parietal cells are the cells in the stomach lining that produce acid. And then honestly, probably one of the most common root causes I see, yes, H. pylori, but eating too quickly. Um, just not being mindful, not sitting down, chewing your foods, eating without distractions. I feel like so many people I talk to now are like grabbing something as they're running out the door on their way to work, or they're sitting and scrolling social media, watching TV while they're eating. They're, they're just not chewing their foods. And so I know that's not the trendy thing to talk about, but chewing your foods can literally help with stomach acid. And like totally like eating on the go, like being distracted, doing all of the things, but like also a lot of people skip meals or they're not prioritizing mm -hmm. feeding themselves and they get they like get so past the point of hunger that by the time they sit down to eat they're just eating wicked fast mm -hmm. you know I, like i just caught myself doing this last night like we had pasta and meat sauce with elbow pasta and i was like swallowing them whole i was eating so fast i mean this is not good for my digestion <laughs> so that's something to be thinking about too is like are you waiting to the point where you're so hungry you could like you know, bite your arm off. And so that's what's causing you to eat wicked fast. Definitely. And um, kind of on that note, some, it is worth mentioning that people who are on plant-based diets traditionally also tend to have slightly lower levels of stomach acid. This doesn't mean people on a plant-based diet need to start eating meat again, but definitely thinking about what are some other ways that we can support stomach acid production if you're on a plant-based diet as well. And I mean, this creates a trickle down kind of cascade effect, right? We're going to have maldigestion, malabsorption of our proteins. So you could be eating a really healthy diet, but if you're not absorbing it, you're not getting the benefits from it. Uh, nutrient deficiencies, which on their own can cause skin issues. Uh, we can see SIBO occur because of low stomach acid, bacterial overgrowth, and candida. And I'm always sharing with patients, we want to work top to tail. So chew your foods, eat without distractions, be mindful, optimize your stomach acid, optimize kind of that lower part of your GI tract as well. Yeah. All super, I mean, just good, good suggestions for, you know, food hygiene, um, mm -hmm. in general. All right. So why don't we close things out with, since, you know, we've been talking about food and diet, the, we touched upon it a little bit, but just to kind of summarize, what are, additional strategies to support candida clearance through diet. We recognize that it's, you know, there's more to it than just killing the candida. We might need to bring in some herbal antifungals. We might need to bring in some prescription antifungals. We might have to address the microbiome at large. We might have to address our stress and our immune response, all of that. From a food perspective, what can people do? Um, from a food perspective, 
diversify your diet, eat a variety of plant foods, a variety of fibers. I love bringing in fermented foods, cultured foods, kimchi and sauerkraut. I recommend a lot of resistant starches, which are cooked and then cooled carbohydrates. So like roasted potatoes that you then let cool and you, you can reheat it and the resistant starch will stay. Same thing with even um, rice and even those like bean based pastas, we can get some resistant starch from that polyphenols, those like deep red produce items. Um, and then balancing your, our blood sugar is like very foundational. And so it's less about what to avoid, what to take away when we are balancing our blood sugar and treating candida. It's what can we add that could be support, add stomach acid, add diversity, add or balance blood sugar, eat in a way that's going to support your blood sugar, more protein, more fat. And the CCP can also really teach that as well. Yeah. And so we'll close out there. Um, join us. You can come hang out with me and Rachel for the CCP. Um, you get to ask Rachel questions. She can kind of handhold you through through some of your, your steps because she knows what she's talking about. Um, but hopefully we cleared up some, some questions and helped to link up your understanding of candida and skin and what you can do about it. So thanks for being here, Rachel. Thanks for having me. All right. CCP starts in September. We'll see you there. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.